Well, thank you, Jeff, for that uh, wonderful prayer. Well, if you're new to our uh, broadcast, to our service, we want to welcome you, each and every one of you, and you've, joined, you've picked a good day to join us. We're beginning a brand new series entitled Courage to Stand, Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet. So way back in 1966, I was a freshman at San Diego State University, uh, just barely, uh, not even quite 18 years of age, and I sat in this large biology lecture hall. And there's probably 300 students in there. And uh, the biology professor got up and he started talking to us. And he said something that I, probably, I thought I would probably never hear in my life. This is what he said. He said, one of my goals for this year is to make sure that you understand that there is uh, science and there is religion and the two never will come together. If you believe in science, you can't believe in God. Well, I was shocked at what he said and started sweating. And the next thing he said was, how many of you students in here believe in God? If you do, raise your hand. And so I sheepishly raised my hand along with a few others I could see in the lecture hall. And I put my hand down. And then the next thing that he said absolutely terrified me. He pointed at me and he said, what's your name? And I said, Dwayne Cross. He said, Mr. Cross, please stand up. <laughs> and remember, I'm an introvert, and I, that just terrified me. And I'd never like to be in front of people and crowds and all that. But I stood up, and he said, tell me, why do you believe there is a God? And uh, I froze for a moment. It seemed like forever, but it was probably five or six seconds. And then finally... I said something, and I'm not quite sure where I got the courage to say it, but this is what I said. I said, well, I don't know about you, but what I know is that God lives in me. And if God lives in me, he's alive. And the other reason I believe that there is a God is because my sister, Judy, just had a baby. His name is Robbie. And I held him the other day, and he has these perfect little hands and little feet and face and ear, ears and nose and eyes. And I looked at that baby and I said, this cannot be an accident. And so, Professor, that's all I've got for you. And I sat down. And uh, surprisingly, several of the other students said, yeah, yeah, like that, you know, but I, I felt so alone and so afraid. And here is the connector. Jeremiah was just like me. He was about my age when God called to him in a vision. And we read this in the first chapter of Jeremiah. But uh, uh, the Lord said, listen, Jeremiah, uh, I have made you and I have known you when you were in your mother's womb. And now I am calling you to be a prophet to my people Israel and to speak the truth to them. And Jeremiah said, I can't do that. I, I, I can't talk. I'm, I'm too young. I'm a child. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And then here is what the Lord said to him in Jeremiah 1, verses 17 through 19. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. That's the way I felt terrified before the professor, right? Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, 
and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. They will fight against you, but you will not be overcome. For I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. What an amazing promise. And throughout this series, we're going to talk about what it means to have courage to stand in our day and in our time. So I'd like to show you a picture. So um, this is a picture of uh, Michelangelo's version of Jeremiah. And uh, you'll notice that he is called the weeping prophet. They said he was wailing the moment he was born. Notice the posture of despair. He looks like a man who has wept so long there are no tears left. His face is turned to one side like a man who has received the blows of many troubles on life. His shoulders are hunched forward, weighed down by the sins of Judah. His eyes are cast down as if he can no longer bear to see God's people suffer. His head, hand covers his mouth. Perhaps he has nothing left to say. His name was Jeremiah, and he labored as God's prophet for 40 years, from 627 B.C. to sometime after 586 B.C. Four decades is a long time to cry. So who was this man, and why was he weeping? And what impact did he have on his world so many millennia ago? And what difference does his life make in our world today for you and for me? These are some of the questions that I would like to address in the coming weeks. Now, let me make you a couple of promises. And uh, first of all, I'd like to give you an assignment. I'd like you to read through the book of Jeremiah in the next several weeks. Uh, it's a long book, and some of it's really hard to get through because basically Jeremiah is just chewing out the Israelites the whole time. But uh, read through it, and you'll find every couple of chapters this, this bite of grace, this bite of mercy, this little... Uh, context of love. And, and those are the things that we're going to be focus on, focusing on during these weeks. So read through the book of Jeremiah. So here's some promises I'd like to make for you as we begin this series. Number one, when someone asks me, who is Jeremiah? I promise you, I will not say Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Okay. Now, for those of you who are young, you have no idea what I just meant. Well, one of my favorite songs in 1970 was by the Three Dog Night, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. You won't hear me say that anymore. It's the last time I'll say that. Number two, you will gain a sense of historical perspective, meaning you'll be able to connect the dots between Jeremiah, past and present, leading up to even now. Number three, you will recognize, and this is so important, you'll recognize the amazing, awe-inspiring, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent love, mercy, and grace that was intimately present in Jer with Jeremiah and is just as intimately present with you in your living rooms at this very moment. This I promise you. I don't believe it's an accident that you've tuned in today. I believe this message is for each and every one of us. And the fourth thing I'll promise you is this. You will be confronted by the text and you'll be confronted by God. 
to have courage to stand in the face of the enemy. Courage to stand up to a freshman biology teacher. Courage to stand against the coronavirus. Courage to stand when you bear witness to the love of Jesus to a friend or to someone that you're just meeting. That you will have courage to stand. So let's begin with some historical perspective. Now, when I teach a new members class, I usually give a thousand year history lesson in about seven minutes. From A.D. 500, the Holy Roman Empire, to A.D. 1000. Uh, or 1500 with uh, Martin Luther. But uh, what I'm going to do today is 2,000 years of history in about seven and a half minutes. So fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Uh, Here's the historical perspective I want to share with you. Now, the first thing I want to show you is a timeline. Okay, so we'll put that up on the screen. It'll just be up there for a minute. Now, when we take it down, do not fear. You can go to your sermon notes, mygrace.church, sermon notes, and you'll be able to see this, uh, this timeline. But you'll notice that we're going from about 2000 BC approximately with Abraham all the way to 4 BC, which is probably the, the year that Jesus was actually born, 4 BC. So we'll look at those 2000 years of history. Now it all begins with Abraham. Abraham through Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, is from, found in Genesis 12 to 50. God made a covenant, that's why we call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the first part of your Bible. God made a covenant with Abraham and he promised him two things. He promised him a land between the Tigris and Euphrates River, later called the Holy Land or uh, Israel. And he also promised them uh, the blessings of a thousand generations. And he promised those blessings because of God's people were his people and he had this people to be used to bring through all of history all the way up to Jesus. So look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. This is what uh, God said. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commands. So this Abrahamic covenant was about land and it was about a promise of thousands of generations of faithful followers of God. Now, by the way, uh, there is a viral video going around out there called uh, The Blessing. And basically it's uh, The Blessing from Numbers chapter six, along with uh, another part of The Blessing from this passage here. And it's um, different worship pastors in the UK as one of the videos, and they sing this blessing. It is amazing. Also, you can find, uh, uh, they did this in South Africa. They've done several of them in the United States, but check that out, uh, the blessing, and you will be blessed by that. So God promises this covenant with Abraham that this will happen to all of his generations. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Uh, uh, He's Abraham's grandson. And Jacob has 12 sons. Joseph is one of the sons, the third mother of all the kids. And uh, Joseph was uh, Jacob's favorite son. He made him a robe of many colors. You've heard that story. Even if you haven't been around the Bible much, you've heard about that story, a a robe of many colors. Well, all of Joseph's uh, brothers were very angry and upset because they were jealous of Joseph. He was beloved by Jacob. And so they decided to kill him. 
And then at last minute they had a little bit of conscience and so what they ended up doing was selling him to Egyptian traders. So he became a slave of an Egyptian army officer by the name of Potiphar. Now there's a lot of stories around this, very intriguing. But what comes out of this is that Joseph had this amazing integrity, honesty, and natural leadership. He finally acceded to becoming really a prince of Egypt under Pharaoh. Pharaoh had great respect for him, even though he had a little time in prison, a misunderstanding there. But he had this great respect for him. And he was such a great leader that he was the one that kept Egypt from being destroyed during a famine. They had saved up all kinds of grain over the years. And so when the famine came and hit other nations, Egypt was just fine. Well, one of the other nations that wasn't so fine was the rest of Joseph's brothers. They came to him and they didn't know it was uh, Joseph. They came and they asked this prince of Egypt if they could have some grain. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And he said in Genesis 50, 20, I know you intended this for evil, but God intended this for good. That's one of the themes that we'll be looking at all through Jeremiah. We may see evil all around us. This coronavirus is evil, but somehow, some way, God is going to turn what we're experiencing into something good and beneficial for his kingdom, for you and for me. So, um, uh, Joseph gave his brothers some land in Goshen in, uh, in Egypt, and a couple hundred years pass, and uh, even though there was a lot of faithfulness to God in those years, after a couple of years, they had completely forgotten about God. And then about 300 years later, God sent a rescuer, a savior, by the name of Moses. Now we're at 1300 BC, to keep his promise of faithfulness to his people. Now you know what happened? All of the Israelites were under bondage to uh, Pharaoh. It was just ugly and they were enslaved, they were dying daily. It was just a terrible, awful time. Moses comes and he rescues them. After the plagues, you've heard about the plagues all happened. Then finally, Pharaoh said, let my people go. Or Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh finally said, okay, go ahead. I can't take this anymore. And so a million Israelite slaves left Egypt. They crossed over the Red Sea. You know that story. God parted the Red Sea. And for 40 years in the wilderness, they experienced this time with Moses and with the other leaders. Both times of faithfulness and times of disobedience. But God rescued them in a powerful way. And so we see this, um, that's also the time when uh, they received the Ten Commandments, okay? Just remember that. And so this is a cycle, and maybe you'll recognize this cycle, uh, crying out to God for help, disobedience to God, defeat by the enemies, victory over the enemies, and then crying out to God for help. I mean, there's this sin cycle that's disobedience, brokenness, repentance, restoration, disobedience, brokenness, repentance. Does that sound familiar? Because that's the same sin cycle that we experience in our day. So these people had rejected the rule of God. Now Saul was the first king. God never wanted the Israelites to have a king. He wanted to be a theocracy. He wanted to be God was the king. But they rebelled and they wanted a king. And so Saul was their first king. He started out pretty humble, pretty good. But later he forgot about God And then Samuel had to appoint another king. That was the shepherd boy, David. David became the greatest and most beloved of all the kings. He even failed with Bathsheba. And so you get to all this. And the psalm I read early in the service in my introduction was Psalm 13. This is where David was crying out, 
God, where are you? I don't see you. It was his own fault that he was running from God, that he's running away. But God, where are you? We have those same prayers today. After David was, uh, his son Solomon was made king. He was given great wisdom and wealth. And the 12 tribes of Israel now are wealthy and united. And there was a period of unequaled prosperity among the children of Israel for about 100 years. Then after the death of Solomon in 922 BC, his son Rehoboam came to the throne. The northern tribes asked for a tax break. He said, no, there's rebellion. You can hear all this. Revolution under Jeroboam. Uh, He was also another son of Solomon. Then the, the, the kingdom was divided. Listen to this, never to be united again. The northern kingdom, kingdom Israel, fell to the Assyrians in 721 B.C. The southern kingdom, Judah, fell to the Babylonians in 587 B.C. And the prophets were called on by God to get this thing right. And next we'll put up a, just a, a timeline of the prophets. Again, we won't leave it there long because you can look at that in your sermon notes. But you need to see between 750 B.C. and 600 B.C., all the prophets of God said, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. They kept saying no, and then yes, and then no, that cycle of sin over and over again until we get to Jeremiah. And then after Jeremiah, uh, they were disobedient and unfaithful to God. Then under Cyrus the king in 537 B.C., the captives of Judah were allowed to return to their homeland for the first time after hundreds of years. And under Nehemiah and Ezra, he rebuilt Jerusalem. Listen to this psalm. This is great. Uh, I won't put it up on the screen, but listen to this psalm. This was the psalm after the Israelites got to return to their homeland with Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilding the wall. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And then 500 years after that, Jesus of Nazareth was born. So there's your 2,000 years of history. Okay, now let's go back to Jeremiah. In the last decade of the longest, darkest period in Judah's history, two boys were born that were to be God's gifts to a demoralized and damaged people. The two lives in question were those of Josiah, born in 648 B.C., and Jeremiah, slightly younger. As a reforming king and outspoken prophet, These two were the last hope of surviving as a nation under God. Judah was in trouble. Israel to the north had been overwhelmed by the powerful Assyrians, and to the south and west, Egypt was in power. Assyria had exacted great pain, great carnage on tiny Judah. Had God forgotten his people? Was there any hope? I mean, there was pagan worship, there were black arts, including human sacrifice, drugs, devil worship. All of this was going on among God's people. Yet the tide was about to turn. The boy king Josiah had begun seeking the Lord in his teens. And at age 20, he began to purge his country of idolatry. One year later, 627 B.C., 
Jeremiah began his 40-year career as a prophet. And it all began when Josiah rediscovered a book. A book that had been under the ruins, the temple ruins, for a hundred years. And we read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 29 through 31. Listen to these words. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from the greatest to the least. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. This was the covenant that God made to Abraham hundreds of years before, and this is being renewed in the Lord's presence. They found the book, not this book, but they found the Torah and the writings of David and Solomon and under the rubble that had been destroyed, and now they were reading it over and over and over again. Josiah pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll, hidden for almost a hundred years under the rubble of a destroyed Jerusalem. Now, just a side note here. Now, we have a different book than they had. That was we have part of what they had. We have the Torah and the writings of David and Solomon, or David and Solomon. But uh, what we have here is the book, the book of God, the Word of God, God breathed. Now, everything we find in the New Testament explains what happened in the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a shelf life. When Jesus came, everything changed. The laws were reduced from all the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament to two laws that we call the platinum uh, rules of Jesus. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God as God has loved people. That's That's the two laws that we're reduced to. So all of this book is our book. It helps us to understand how to live our life. It helps us to be inspired by what God has done in the past. It is our book. Now, in our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, this has been especially true of us. Back when the Swedes, back in the 1800s, when the Swedes were, were starting to learn how to read, they, would, they were called the people of the dirty book because their soiled hands from working the fields would come in and read their Bibles, and their Bibles became smudged and dirty. Later, the, as you were walking down the streets of Stockholm, Sweden, and you found another Christ follower, uh, one would ask the other, where is it written? In other words, the Bible was the very root and core of their lives. That's where we must live. The Bible is God's word for us, the living, breathing word of God for reform, renewal, repentance, and revival. We find it right here in the book. So that was what was happening in Jeremiah's time. Josiah would read over the scriptures that he had over and over and over again. He called the people back to repentance. He called them back to the covenant that God had made to Abraham and later to David. This man, Jeremiah, along with the godly king Josiah, were to to be the instruments of God to set the Israelites free, not only from the bondage of the Assyrians and the Egyptians, but from the bondage of their own sin, the bondage of their own sin cycle. With God's calling comes God's gifting. Jeremiah was not sure he was up to the challenge of reaching his culture, 
of reaching uh, his people, of reaching the world. In Jeremiah 1.6, he said, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, he said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Remember, he was only 18 or 19 years old. But God said, What seems too hard for you, what seems too complicated for you, what seems too risky for you, what seems too time-consuming for you, too much for you, God said, I will give you what you need to stand tall, to stand with courage before your enemy, to stand tall at a culture that says, no, we don't want God, to stand tall at a time when the world is faced with a pandemic, to stand tall and bear the good news of Jesus Christ. Too much, too little, too hard, I can't do it. But God says, listen, I will give you what you need. I know many times I've said, when I was uh, first called to the ministry, I shared that story a couple of weeks ago in my Wednesday talk. Um, I, I first, how can I be a pastor? I'm, I'm this kid that when I was in high school and they would ask for someone to give the answer, I would know the answer and I would never raise my hand for fear that they would call on me and my voice would crack. I was so introverted. I never thought, the worst part of my school experience was having to stand up in front of the class and give an oral report. I hated that. And God's calling me to be a pastor? God says, when I call you, I will equip you. I don't know enough. My personality, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough desire or passion. I'm not old enough, I'm not educated enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough. And what God would say to us is what he said to Jeremiah. Just show up. Stand up. I will give you the words. I will give you the strength. I will give you the resources. I will give you what you need to stand tall before your culture and make a difference. God, what are you asking me to do? It's, it's just too difficult. We face so many things in our society that we need to stand tall. Stand tall against racism. Stand tall against all kinds of social ills that we see, poverty and social justice and everything else. This, this boy, uh, this a black kid in Brunswick, Georgia, Ahmad Arbery, that was shot in the back by two other guys. And it was two months before anybody even did anything about it. We've got to stand tall in these times and say, no, it's not right. We have a new rule. That new rule is not the Old Testament, do this, do that. The new rule is to love God and to love people, and that means all people. We are called to do that, to stand tall in the presence of our society. But God, how can I stand? How can I make a difference? I'm so weak. I have such little faith. I'm so small. Listen to what he said in verses 7 to 10 of chapter 1. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. Whatever God asks you to do, he will give you the strength, the words, the ability, the courage to do it. Moses said the same thing. Moses said, I can't talk. I'm not very good, God. God said, I'll send Aaron along. He can talk for you. 
God says, you forget who I am, Moses. I am Yahweh, which is translated, I am that I am, which means literally, I will be with you. Friends of Grace Community Church, God's word to you is stand tall. I will be with you. No matter what you face, what you're facing today, what you might face tomorrow, I will be with you. Now, let me make this very personal. God has gifted and called you to serve him at exactly this time and moment in history. It's not an accident that you're listening today. Jeremiah's example gives strong encouragement to live for Christ in pagan times. Jeremiah said, get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. They will fight against you but will not overcome you for I am with you. That's the name of Yahweh. I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Are you ready to stand up for Christ in the midst of difficult times? Are you ready to make a difference in your family, in your school, in your job, in your world? Are you ready to experience the touch of God on your life? Are you ready to stand firm against racism and injustice? Most of us have heard of Mother Teresa, the 1979 Nobel Prize winner. This diminutive Albanian nun visited Washington, D.C. in 1981. Uh, not to the bright lights and fanfare of the White House, but to visit Anacostia, a ghetto of hunger, crime, drugs, and hopelessness, very near the seat of power in the most powerful city in the world. Normally, Washington celebrities and power brokers or the press that track them never cross over into this slum, but because she did, <laughs> they did. One reporter asked her, what do you expect to accomplish here? She said, the joy of loving and being loved. The reporter said, well, that takes a lot of money, doesn't it? No, it takes a lot of sacrifice. The press was bewildered at her responses. They couldn't fathom the source of her power. Another asked, why do you work for the lepers in Calcutta, India? Why do you do what you do? Her response was profound. Brother, she said gently, my vocation is not to work for lepers. My vocation is to belong to Jesus. Mother Teresa is not in love with a cause, as noble as her cause was. She was in love with the one who compelled her to live for him. That's the story of Jeremiah. To recognize that I, I really can't do this. To stand in our culture in the 21st century, to stand and represent Jesus Christ against injustice and racism and everything else, to stand tall, like, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the courage to do that. But God said, I will give you the words. I will give you the courage to do whatever you need to do to stand tall because you are called to greatness and you are called to sacrifice and you are called to stand tall because you belong to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, um, so often we um, forget who we are. We just talked about that in the Second Corinthians series. 
then when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. Well, this is who we are. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus, the one who said, love God and love people the way God has loved people. And Lord, in Jeremiah's day, it was so hard to do that because of the enemies were encroaching on them constantly. But the main problem with the Israelites was not their enemies. The main problem was their own lives that were uncommitted, their own lives that were divided. And so, Father, for us today in the 21st century, during this coronavirus, we beg you for strength to stand tall because we belong to Jesus, to stand against that which you hate and to stand for that which you love. Father, help us to stand tall and to stand with courage. May we be faithful servants. May we be those people who have one vocation, and that is simply to love Jesus. Bless us, Father, and help us to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.